everybody. This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Hey, so to kind of, kind of kick us in this morning to what we're going to talk about, let me just start it by saying it this way. Today we're going to talk about something that every one of us has, but none of us wants. We're going to talk about something um, that each of us has to deal with, but none of us really deals with it well. In fact, the very mention of them makes our stomachs churn, and when we do have to deal with them, we'd just rather run the other way. We'd rather avoid them. We'd rather not deal with them at all. Uh, So that's how we most often deal with them. We do it poorly. Uh, You love to hate them, and you hate to love them. Today, we're talking about your enemies. Some of you thought, my kids? No, I'm talking about your enemies, right? And, and listen, and avoiding your enemies and even at times hating your enemies feels all you know, good and okay, except for the fact that if that, is your, if that is your response to your enemies, you are really living life below the level that God wants you to live and, and, and invites you to live. You are only hurting yourself, like your venom towards your enemy only poisons you. And... God tells you that there's another way to live with and deal with and sometimes live around on a regular basis your enemies in a way that actually makes your life better. So if you want to learn how to uh, deal with this better, then stay tuned. But if, if you're okay just avoiding your enemies and living in the angst of your enemies you know, all that time, then you can, you can take a nap. Or if you're online, go visit another church this morning. Because at this church, we're going to talk about God's plan for how you live around and sometimes even with your enemies in a way that makes your life better and actually pleases God. Y'all ready for that this morning? All right, so let's start, first of all, by defining enemy. So I went to Webster, and Webster defines enemy this way. A person who is actively opposed or hostile to something or someone. A person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. In other words, an enemy is someone who who is hateful and hurtful to you. Someone who is hateful or hurtful to you. They actively pursue your downfall or even your destruction, just like Saul and David. Now, if you don't know who Saul and David are, you are in for a treat this morning because their story is an amazing ride. So Saul was the first king of Israel. Israel, the Israelites were God's chosen people. And before Saul, they they were a theocracy. Right? They were governed by God. God is our king. How many wish we were a theocracy today? Right? Wouldn't that be totally amazing? Uh, they were a theocracy, and God just you know, formed them and shaped them and made them into the, the nation of Israel and said, I'm going to use you to reach the rest of the world with my love and my message. And they're like, this is great. And God just kept giving them victory after victory. He led them in the promised land, and they're in the promised land. They started doing this. Oh, they have a king. Oh, and those people have a king, and that nation has a king. Oh, they have a really nice king over there. God, we want a king. And God's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. I, I've seen what kings do. I know what kings do. You don't want a king. And, and they're like, we want a king. We want a king. God says, okay, I'm going to give you what you're asking for. And he anointed a man named Saul to be the first king 
over the people of Israel. Now, Saul was kind of the winner. Saul was a crowd favorite. Saul was a little bit larger than life. The people loved Saul. His, his king ratings were really, really, really high. And, and he was doing a great job until he wasn't. There was a day when Saul began to do what Saul wanted to do instead of what God wanted him to do. And so God began looking for Saul's replacement. And he found him in a young teenage boy named David. Right. Now, what God did was he sent the prophet Samuel to anoint David to be the next king over Israel. That did not make David king over Israel right away. David actually was employed by Saul. Can you imagine that? You know, I'm king and you're the next king and you're working for me? Yeah, I'll take advantage of that, right? Can you imagine Saul? Saul couldn't have been happy with this. David, this, this is David who was of David and Goliath fame, right? This is David who wrote over half the Psalms. This is David who's revered as the greatest king ever over Israel. This is, this is David who had an affair with the beautiful Bathsheba, the lady next door to the palace. This is David who God said, he has a heart after my own heart. This is that David. And David, after you know, killing Goliath, he kind of went to work for Saul. He started leading battles. And he became a warrior. And the people of Israel, they recognized David as this mighty warrior. And they made up songs about David. They would sing, Saul, King Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. If you're Saul, you're thinking, whoa, wait a minute, because this is not so good for me. He didn't want David to be the crowd favorite. He wanted to be the crowd favorite. He didn't want David getting more glory than he got. He didn't want anyone succeeding him as king, especially if it's not his own son. And so what happened was Saul became obsessed with killing David. So David became a fugitive. David gathered 600 men around him and they took their wives and their kids and they went out and they lived this nomadic lifestyle in the, in the wilderness of Judah, just traveling here and there, living wherever they could. Can you imagine that's probably two or 3,000 people that David felt he needed to protect and provide for. And they just wandered around while, while Saul did his thing as king. And then whenever King Saul got word of where David was, Saul would get an army bigger than David's. He'd go out and try to kill David. Saul was an enemy to David, right? That fits our definition. But David was not an enemy to Saul. I want you to hear that. Even though Saul was an enemy to David, David was not an enemy to to Saul. See, there are some things you're going to see today that you can learn from today, take home today from David, how David lived around and even with Saul, where he proved to be at a higher level. He lived at a different level with his enemy. And you can learn the same thing. We're going to watch David school us today on how to live with your enemy the way God wants you to. By the way, here's how God wants you to live with your enemy. You ready for this? This is something that Jesus said. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That makes sense, right? You love people who, who, who you love, but people who are against you, you hate. So you've learned it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may become or be children of your father in heaven. Now, again, this is Jesus talking, and this is just so radically different from 
anything anybody else was, was teaching. This was so far off their radar. Their culture, just like our culture, said, hey, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Like, love the people who are easy to love. Love the people who are nice to you. Love your neighbors that wave to you from the mailbox. But those that don't and those who are mean to you, the, those, those who are bullies and cheaters and adulterers, those who have cheated on you, those are the people, boy, when they go behind your back, when they break your heart, you hate them. But then Jesus comes along and says, no, you got the wrong idea. You got to love your enemies. Jesus was ushering in a brand new culture, a brand new way of thinking, of living and loving to love your enemies. Why? Don't you believe Jesus? Why? Because it's so much more fun to hate the people that I don't want to love. It's so much easier to, to, to love hating them. It's so much easier to live not liking them. Like, Jesus, why would you say that? Don't you know what they did? Don't you know how wrong she was? Don't you know how, how hard it was? Don't you know how much they hurt me? And he says, yeah, I know all of that. I know every bit of that. I know every betrayal, every lie, every agenda, every stab in the back. But listen, who they are and what they've done. Who they are and what they've done are not part of Jesus' equation for loving them. In other words, you don't get to keep a record of all their dishonesty, deception, and deceit to justify not loving them. We've been saying that you're really good at loving when you get to define love, right? When people, um, they, they, they live by, by your beliefs, they vote by your values, uh, you love those people. But there are other people who don't live like you want them to live. They don't treat you like you want them to treat you. And those are the people that are just hard to love. And sometimes they become your enemy. Jesus blows up our definition of love. He says, if you're going to love like me, if you're going to love like me, live like me, then you have to love like me. You have to start using my definition of love, which says you don't get to keep any record of wrongs. Jesus' way of living always begins with Jesus' way of loving even your enemies. So today, we're going to walk through uh, this event between David and Saul. We're going to watch David school us on how we're supposed to do that. So let's get into this. This is way back in the Old Testament. It's called 1 Samuel. Remember, a lot of the books of the Old Testament were named after the prophets that God used to speak and live and act at that time in the history of, of Israel. So this is called 1 Samuel, and this is what God writes for us. After Saul, who was the king of Israel, returned from pursuing the Philistines. Now, the Philistines, they were just always, always, always like mortal enemies of the Israelites. So the Israelites had lots of people that they battled against, but the Philistines and Israelites were always in conflict with each other. Like Goliath was an Israelite. If you read about battle after battle after battle of the Philistines and the Israelites. So Saul, after retur returning home from pursuing the Philistines in another battle, he was told, David's in the desert of Engedi. That sounds like Star Warish, doesn't it? Kind of picturing that. So Saul took 3,000 able young men. Like, these are the best of the best. These are the best warriors. These are the most accurate with the bows. These are the most fierce with the swords. These are 3,000 from all over Israel, from all the different tribes. These are the 3,000 best soldiers he has. He took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel, 
and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Is that on your next destination spot? Hey, where are y'all getting married? Well, right next to the crags of the wild goats. We, we don't really have a crag I don't know, around here like that, but, but they did. So, so Saul comes back from battle. His men are weary. They just want to go home, get a good meal, get some sleep, be with their, their families. But Saul gets word, right? Someone comes up to, to Saul and says, hey, my nephew and his friends were out camel surfing out in the Gedi. Jedi. Gedi area. And, and, and they thought they saw David out there. And Saul's like, they saw David? Yeah, they saw David and, and, and his people out there. So before they do anything else, Saul's like, hey, get back on your camels. Get your armor back on before you get a meal, before you rest. We're going back out. He gets us 3,000 back together again. And they head out uh, to the crags of the wild goats looking for David to kill him. Let's keep going. Verse 3. He, they, Saul and his army, came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. Middle school boys, you're about to love what happens next, all right? A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. This wasn't get behind a bush, relieve. This is God better get in a cave quick and, and relieve myself, relieving. So, so Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Like, who says God can't relate to middle schoolers, right? So, so here they are. They're passing through this valley, and something's passing through Saul, and, and he's like, I've got to go right now. Listen, when you're on vacation, and you're driving, like, to Ocean City, Maryland, and you're driving, but someone in the back seat says, I got to go, what do you say? Hold it, right? But when you're the driver, and you've got to go, what do you do? Yep, click, turn signals on, we're getting to the turn lane, we're going to the rest area. Saul's driving this whole thing, right? He's got the whole army behind him. He says, I got to go. Don't you wonder how that conversation went with his commander? Hey, stay here for me. I got to go check a guy about a camel. <laughs> don't you wonder how that conversation went? But, but Saul's got to take care of some bathroom business. And don't you wonder what they talked about when he's like, climbs off his camel or donkey, whatever he was riding, and he starts walking up the, the crag of the wild goats to get to this cave. What's he do? Like, really? We just stopped 20 minutes ago. He couldn't have gone back then at the other cave? You know, but here he goes. You know, he, he's walking up there, and there are caves all over this valley, up in the hills. And of all the caves that Saul chose to go in, there's, literally, there's David and his men hiding in this cave. This couldn't be any more perfect for David to end his enemy. And David's men were like, his men were like, David, man, this is your chance. Listen to this. Pick up verse four. The men, David's men said, this is the day. Like, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Aren't you glad? Isn't it funny when we take God's word and say, this is what it means. Yeah. I don't think they knew what it meant, but they're saying it to David there. Then David, get this, David crept up unnoticed, and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. That's a letdown. Don't you, weren't you expecting more? Like, here they are in the cave. It's got to be a big cave. David's got all those guys hiding, you know, all these people hiding in this cave. And here's, here comes Saul, completely oblivious that any of them are there, taking care of some bathroom business. And here comes David, just creep, creep, creeping up behind him. Saul doesn't know he's there. Like, this is your chance. And what's he do? 
rip. Woo! Got a corner of the road, baby. I expected a little bit more than that from this event. But that's what David did. How many of y'all would love to have the chance to end your enemies? Like, not end, end them, that would be illegal. But to end her position. To end his job. To end her mouth. To end his opportunities. To end their joy. How many of you would love to be in the position that David was in? He could have ended, ended his enemy's life. David had the chance, but something in David's heart would not let him do that. Something kept David's vengeance at bay. And here's what he did. Verse 5. He goes up, he rips it off. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. The wording in the Hebrew there is is really dramatic. David had to physically hold his men back. I mean, here they are in the cave, and here's Saul, the guy who's trying to kill their new king. And the sooner he's out, this guy's in. David had to restrain his men from going and attacking and killing Saul. But David was operating at a different level. See, David recognized Saul's value in the eyes of of God. And it dawned on him, this man, this man, no matter what he's done, was anointed by God to be king, and it's not my place to take him out. And it changed everything David was about to do. I think when he was creeping up there, he may have been intent on ending Saul's life, but along that creeping little way, conscience got a hold of him. It changed everything he was about to do and that all his buddies were telling him to do. Listen, I want, you to th- I want you to think about your enemy right now. I know you probably got more than one, but just one, that one. You know the one. Think of your enemy. Picture her face right now. Or picture him in your mind right now. And I'm challenging you right now to begin operating at a different, higher level. And remember God's love for her. And remember God's love for him. Remember how God values her. Remember how God values him. Listen, it does not hinge on what he or she has done or said. As hurtful as it was, as devastating as it was, as unfaithful as it was, as wrong as it was. And while he or she may not be the anointed king or queen of a nation, they may not be royalty. God wants them to be. You ever think about that? Because God's one desire for that person you're thinking of right now is that she would belong to him or that he would belong to him. And when you belong to the king, when you become a son or daughter of the king, that makes you royalty. God's desire is for your enemy to belong to him. God loves your enemy so much he suffered and died to make them his. So friends, this is step number one in how to deal rightly with your enemies. Number one, recognize their value. I know it's hard to do, but recognize their value. Look at your enemy through the lens of God's love. If they are worth Jesus' life, 
then surely they're worth your love. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king! This is David, who's, who's being hunted by Saul. This is David, the anointed new king. This is David, who's been unfairly, unjustly, undeservedly persecuted by Saul. And yet, David shouts out, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. You know, I've been... I've been living in this valley for the last number of weeks with David and Saul. I've been walking back and forth in this valley for the last two weeks, just trying to get in and picture and see what's going on and, and get into their, their hearts and their minds and, and get into the scene. And I'm looking at David. He has the high ground here. Like literally, he's got the high ground. He's up above Saul. He's got an advantage, you know, military advantage already. He's above Saul. He's, he's, got, he's God's choice to be the next king. He's the people's favorite. But he, he takes the lowest posture possible, bowing down, prostrate, flat on the ground. And this was such a bold move. To some, it may look like David's afraid, like he's caving. But I don't think so. I think David and his three and his 600 men would have fought the 3,000 to the death if needed. David's not a chicken. David's not afraid. David's not surrendering. By bowing down, he was just living higher. And he wasn't giving up. By bowing low, he's living at a different level. He was making a statement that you need to make either to or in the face of your enemy. He was saying to Saul, I may not agree with you, I may, not, I may not want to be your friend, but I will not dishonor you or disgrace you or disrespect you. Let me say it like this. I think this was what was happening in David's heart. This is step number two for how to live rightly with your enemies. Refuse to love hating your enemy and choose to hate not loving your enemy. Let me, let me read that again. Refuse to love hating. Because don't you love to hate your enemy? Refuse. Refuse to love hating your enemy and choose to hate not loving your enemy. Trust me, I, I know it feels good to hate your enemy. Kind of ramping up your anger as you walk back through everything they said, everything they've done. When you talk about them with people who are on your side, it's fun to ramp it up. It feels good inside. When you total all the things they took from you, like she cost me my job. He, he cost me my position. That one family made it impossible to be happy living in this neighborhood. Whatever it is. It's so easy to love hating your enemy, especially when you have people telling you that they deserve it and that you should. But friends, let me encourage you to do what David did. To refuse love, to refuse to love hating your enemy and instead choose to hate not loving your enemy. God knows it's not a switch you can just turn on and off. All right? I'm not asking you just to be there today. That's not reality. We, we like the ideal, but we live in the real. But you can begin moving that direction. You know, God knows you can't control your feelings, your emotions when someone has hurt you as badly as they have. But you can turn them over to God. And you can say, God, I really want to hate this person. But you tell me I'm not supposed to. I have to love this person. So, Lord, will you help me to love this person? If you pray that prayer, you just watch 
what God starts to do in your heart. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. David said to Saul, because remember David's prostrate on the ground, my lord the king. He's still speaking. David's still speaking to Saul. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Wait a minute. I think I jumped ahead, didn't I? Y'all can keep up with me? I'll, I'll go back. We'll do it again then. Try to keep up this time. David said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I can see him like waving this little corner of the rope. See? See what I did? I could have done more. You know I could have done more to you. If I got this, I could have taken your life. Like, even though the guys behind me are like, come on, David, go get them. I didn't do that. Even though you just keep coming after me, trying to destroy me. And then down now, verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me. But my hand, listen, my hand will not touch you. David was saying, hey, Saul, you got a warped view of me. You've been to listen to other people tell you things about me. You, you've been taking their story and fitting into your agenda towards me. You've got me all wrong. I'm not trying to hurt you or harm you. You've been listening to the wrong people, Saul. I am not after you, but yet you keep coming after me. Isn't that what your enemies do? They believe the people in the office without talking to you. They, they like to make up a story to fit their agenda towards you. They like to have false interpretations of maybe something you said or thought they heard you say. They believe hearsay or they're jealous of your position or they just let their agenda take over. But David showed Saul, say, Saul, you're wrong about me. No matter what all these other people are saying, my hand will not touch you. And this is the third step in learning to deal with enemies correctly. Here it is, number three. When someone is your enemy... Don't be theirs. When someone is your enemy, don't be theirs. I wish I could tell you that all this ended really, really well, that it was like, you know, happily ever after, but it really wasn't. Here's what happened. That day, by the, the crags of the wild goats, Saul said to David, David, who lets their enemy get away like that? David, who, who has their enemy dead to rights and just cuts off a corner of the robe and lets them walk? and lets them live. Nobody. David, I know that one day you'll be king, and you'll be a great king, and the nation of Israel is going to flourish under you, but just make me a promise. Promise to me that you will not wipe my name out from my father's family. Promise to me you will treat my family well when you take over. And that day, David swore an oath to Saul to do that. And if you read later in the history uh, what David did, it's really an amazing, amazing um, way that David did that. Now, they didn't hold hands and sing Kumbaya, anything like that, right? Saul went home with his 3,000. David stayed out there with his 600 plus or families. Time passed, and once again, Saul gets word, oh, we saw David out in the wilderness. And that, and that hatred rises up in the enemy of David again. And he gathers the 3,000 again. They go out as an army again. And they go out not to have tea and crumpets with David. They go out to kill David again. And in this time... It's not in a cave, it's on a battlefield in the dark of night. And I'm going to tell you, not going to tell you that story because this week in your life groups, you're going to go back through 
that part of the story. And you're going to see, digging into it more deeply, how once again, David spared Saul's life to reinforce and dig even deeper into everything we've talked about today. Your life groups are going to handle that this coming week. But here's, here's the deal. Your enemies may never go away. They may never leave you alone. They will probably never like you and certainly maybe never love you. And they're going to answer to God for that. That's between them and God. That's not your place to decide. What your place is, what God wants to know from you is, will you love your enemies? I know it's hard, but these three steps are going to help you. Number one, remember their value. Look at them through the lens of God's love. Number two, refuse to love hating your enemy and choose to hate not loving your enemy. And number three, when someone is your enemy, don't be their enemy. This is exactly what God has done for you. Listen, God's not asking you to do anything that he's not already done himself. This is written, I'm going to read something to you that was written by a guy named Paul. Paul used to collect Christians just to put them to death. That's the kind of guy that Paul was. Uh, He knew what it was like to be God's enemy. And he wrote this about all of us. This is from Romans 5.10. For if, while we were God's what? Enemies. You ever think of yourself as an enemy of God? God says you were, or maybe you still are. For if, while we were or are God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? When you were an enemy of God, God chose to love you. God saw your value. And God made the first move. God took the first steps towards you. And maybe this morning, it's time for you or you're ready to take some steps towards God. This morning, maybe you're ready for a new heart towards God. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or give your life to him really and fully. Or maybe today you want a new heart towards your enemies because you're tired of living in the angst. You're tired of not driving down the road where they live. You take the long way around so you don't have to go past their house. Maybe you, maybe you still look you know, around over your shoulder in stores because you don't want to see them. Maybe you, you, you mask up, not because of COVID, but because of anonymity, right? I think we've probably all been there. If today you want that to change, it can. So maybe you need a new heart this morning. And today, what I would like to do is pray for that over you. And this morning, if you need a new heart towards God, just pray this with me. This morning, if you need a new heart towards your enemies, just pray this with me. Would you bow with me? Jesus, you set the model for us. When I was your enemy, you loved me so well that you were not my enemy. In fact, you loved me so well that you made a way for me to become your friend. And when I receive your love for me, you tell me that I get to be your friend. Even though you were never my enemy, you never did anything against me, but I've done everything against you. What a radical proposition and what a radical model. This morning, Jesus, I need my heart to be changed towards you maybe for the first time or maybe for the 100th time, would you remind me that you love me like this? And Jesus, today, 
I need a new heart for my enemies because I really love to hate them and I'd really rather hate not loving them. So Lord, what you've done for me, teach me to do towards them and whether they ever receive it or ever love me back, that doesn't matter. Just teach me to love them. Jesus, I commit my heart to you in this. And I pray this, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Now, here's what I need you to do. If you prayed that prayer with me, either one, if you prayed that I need a new heart towards God or I need a new heart towards my enemy, then simply text the word heart, H-E-A-R-T, to the number you see on the screen, 412-467-0533. And you're going to get a follow-up email or follow-up text from me inviting you to enter a conversation with either Jonathan or myself. If you need to talk about uh, your relationship with Jesus, we would love, love, love to do that with you. If you need to talk about who your enemies are and how to deal with them, we would love to talk with you about that. We just want to help you take the next step for living and loving like Jesus. Because right now, more than ever, our world needs you to. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.